Hello, and welcome to Dartmouth. This is a podcast where we explore some of the strange, peculiar, and often darker stories that surround the histories of Chibuktuk in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. My name is Jess, and in this episode, myself and a very special guest talk all about witches. Hello, and welcome to Dartmouth, Stories from the Dark Side. We're recording in the beautiful historic home of Evergreen House, located on the unceded and ancestral land of the Mi'kmaq people. We acknowledge our privilege and our upbringing, and would like to offer our recording space to any First Nations groups who may want to record free of charge. I'm your host, Jess, and I'm here with a very special guest who will be no stranger to many of you and someone who is a dear friend to the Dartmouth Heritage Museum. Amongst his credits, as a folklorist and entertainer, he's the author of several titles, including Witchcraft, Tales, Beliefs, and Superstitions from the Maritimes, and Helen Creighton, Canada's First Lady of Folklore. Here today to explore the tales, spells, and ethereal beliefs held surrounding the witches that haunt Nova Scotia, and mere steps away from Helen Creighton's desk is the folk legend himself, Larry Croft. Hello. Hello, Jess. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, no problem. So today, mostly, we're just here to talk about witches and witchcraft and all the spooky things that have haunted Nova Scotia. And one of the first things that I wanted to ask really stems from how you start the witchcraft tales, beliefs, and superstitions. And here you say, my interest is in presenting the stories and beliefs as I have found them, pandering to neither fact nor fiction, just as they are. And I'm just curious, when you're writing that, what's your thought process behind that? Like, where are you coming from when you say that? That's the job of any good folklorist, is to Accumulate the information, respect the person that gives it to you. You're not there to make a, a, a judgment on whether their belief is a belief that you follow as well. Uh, you may, you're obviously going to bring your own personal beliefs to it, but even if you're, uh, like you and I are sitting across a table here and we're looking into each other's eyes, if I said something to you and all of a sudden you rolled your eyes, I'd think, okay, maybe I'm not going to talk to you about that anymore. So the person collecting the stories, the person doing the interviewing, it's important for them to be as unbiased as they possibly can because just because it's not my story, it is somebody else's valid story. And when it comes to the belief of supernatural or witchcraft or any kind of thing that is marginalized in both society and from a religious and socioeconomic point of view in many cases, you can form judgments pretty quickly and it's not the job of the collector or the writer to do that. It's, it's to allow the stories to come to, to unfold. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. And in saying that, so for you necessarily, you don't have to believe in witches yourself just as long as you're giving the space for it. Or do you believe in witches and witchcraft? I am a very pragmatic person. I believe in things for which I've had experience. I've had experience of the concept and the topic of witchcraft being in my life 
before I was born. Not my experience, but my, my, my mother's experience. And I, and I talk about this in the book. I've always been interested in this because I grew up, I, I was born in Sherbrooke, and the story is that there was a lady who lived in the next house to my grandmother's. We, we, we lived with my grandmother. My parents eventually built their own house. Um, but it was a, a tight-knit community. You know, you were there with your grandparents, your great-grandparents. There was a lady uh, who lived in the next house, and she had the reputation of being a witch in that she could cast spells on people. She was not above letting people know that she thought she could do this. For instance, if she didn't like somebody, she would cross two rowan sticks on the middle of the road in the belief that they couldn't pass by. So people feared her, but my grandmother didn't. My grandmother was a friend of hers and she understood that this woman had whatever she felt she had. So when my mom was pregnant with me, uh, she's long dead now, so I can call her by her name. Mrs. McDonald was visiting at my grandmother's and my mom was there. And, uh, and Mrs. McDonald said, well, uh, you know, what would, what would you like, a, a boy or a girl? And, um, and mom said, well, you know, I already have a girl. And she said, we'll, we'll be happy with whatever we have, but I'd like to have a boy, you know, one, one of each, as we used to say back then. Um, so Mrs. McDonald said she didn't mom said she didn't cast any spell or anything like that but she said you will have a boy and he will have a lot of special gifts uh, which I think I have I've been privileged all my life of being able to work in the field of folklore and singing and writing and doing all these things um, so my mom always told me that your birth was foretold by a witch and she called her a witch I don't I honestly don't know. I, in fact, I, it was stupid of me not to ask my mother if she called her a witch to her face. But that whole concept of people being witches or having witchcraft in their life was instilled in me very early on. I was never afraid of it. I was never told that, um, oh, you have to believe one way or the other. Because they were all, all, they were religious people too, but they didn't necessarily believe in the witchcraft. But they believed, my mom, my mom's family were uh, Celtic, you know, Irish and Scottish. And they came with a strong belief yeah. of, 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 of the supernatural and, and in, yep. in witchcraft as well. But they never, they never really delved in that aspect of it. So all my life, I was fascinated with it. Then, when I started to work with Helen Creighton and then started to work with her collection and started to work in the field of folklore myself, I was always fascinated because I thought, there's people here that are marginalized in society from, from one reason or another. Often it was because society tagged them as witches or they themselves felt that there was some power that they had by identifying as a witch. And that self-identification is very important if you are going to put yourself out there in the public sphere. And I actually have friends who definitely self-identify as witches and have just embraced the lifestyle as well. So, But we have to talk about whether they're, they're embracing as witches or practicing Wiccans. And there's a big difference there. Uh, Wiccanism is, is a completely separate thing uh, altogether, even though we use the term witch. But... The terms that I'm using in this book are people who believe they can cast spells or people who are doing something to enact something against or for. It doesn't always have to be bad. It can be good as well. So that's the criteria for this. Helen collected hundreds of stories. 
I've collected hundreds of stories on my own. And then I've looked at other folklorists like Sister Mary Fraser, Arthur Fawcett, who collected among primarily African Nova Scotians, um, uh, Ronald Labelle, uh, um, uh, Georges Parsineau, uh, lots of people that did uh, uh, collecting in the Acadian community as well and the German community. Uh, so I'm, I'm well steeped in it, but I took years and years and years to write this because I didn't think the book was going to be as popular as it is. I mean, I, I, Nimbus has to keep reprinting it because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things that I say, yeah. I say well, you know, this bookstore wants it. And they say, well, we've got them on order, but they're, they're, they're coming in. But yeah. it's, it's one of those things that I took a long time writing it because I wanted to show respect. I wanted to show respect for people's beliefs. And I find that very important, especially because you're right, like, especially when it comes to witches, witchcraft they it really is like a marginalized and targeted group of people like the second you're even associated with that and no matter no matter how far back you go in any culture this the second you hear the word witch there's like there is that immediate label that is placed on the person. Yes, but sometimes that's a good label. Mm. Uh, in in the Mi'kmaq community before before Western society was introduced, uh, a witch was not a, that that was not a bad connotation. And in certain uh, African communities, a witch, uh, but that's only the English translation for it. These are people who are spellcasters. They're shapeshifters. They're people who have abilities that we can't even understand. Sometimes they're they're what we would what we would call now a medicine person would back then by western society be called a witch and that even with the medicine people even in uh papua new guinea the witchcraft and the medicine men there are quite revered and it is a very beautiful thing for them to have that still part of their culture so you are right like it there are elements of it that are good and positive within the community but even even in the stories that i've collected from the maritime provinces uh, the the people in certain areas were well respected in the community sometimes they were feared and sometimes they wanted to be feared because that was power but in many cases these were people who if you were if you were an elderly woman and you happened to be a healer if whatever you did to help somebody didn't work for them, then you're going to be branded on the, on the opposite, on the opposite way. You know, if, if you were, uh, I had a, I had a, a great aunt who could stop blood. And when somebody was injured in the woods, they would bring it to uh, bring that person to aunt Hannah and she would make everybody else leave the room and she could stop blood. I've never witnessed it, but this is, this is the, the, the oral history of my family. People, people did, did witness it. Maybe in another society, if somebody wanted to, to get something against her, they could brand her a witch. And that's the other thing, is that, that a lot of times when we look at it historically, we look at it the various papal bulls that were established to, to protect society or protect the church or empower the church or empower society. If you wanted to get rid of somebody, the best thing to do was brand them at a witch. Jean d'Arc, Joan of Arc is an excellent example. You know, you, if, if, you, if, you, if, she's, if she's considered a popular upriser in 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 france how do you turn the people against her well you you brand her and then you make sure that her final her final hours are recognized as a witch so you you burn her it really is something that kind of is unfortunate and 
I'm just thinking back as well, like what you were saying earlier, especially about your upbringing, even before you were born, it, it's something that I resonate with as well, because I know kind of in a similar vein, less on the witch side, but I know that within my family, there has been a lot of paranormal scenarios or visions and premonitions that have come that have because the witchcraft would it would there would have to be some sort of spell enacted right um in order to to produce that or some sort of activity like um a good example is if, if you could have a charm one of the charms that was used sometimes in nova scotia in, in in the maritimes as well is that if you felt that somebody might have witched you they might have bewitched you. They didn't use the term bewitch. It was witched you. Um, then if you could get something of theirs, you could, you could make them stop. Um, one of the examples I have, I remember a friend of mine, um, I was working in the theater with him at the time, and he was telling me about the African and Nova Scotian community where he comes from in the Trachety area, is that there was a woman in the community who was reputed to be a witch, and he, she came to visit the house and somehow they secreted a pin at the bottom of the wooden chair. And the test was, once she sat down, she couldn't get up. She literally couldn't get up until somebody, one of the kids, crawled under the, the chair and hauled out the pin. So that, to them, was a test, testing the witch. And there's, like, there's a lot of that, especially like hearing that in Blue Nose Magic, isn't there? Oh, like yes. Just that, that whole list... Uh, I've really been intrigued by some of some of the things in there. Um, with Helen, was that? I, I know that she was collecting the stories and had Blue Nose Magic, and even some of the things in Blue Nose Ghosts. Did she particularly believe in witchcraft, or was it just something that she acknowledged as part of the folk tradition? I'll give you a good example is, uh, uh, and I, I heard this firsthand from uh, Thomas Rattle, the great Nova Scotia author. I went down to interview him, uh, and he, he and I became friends uh, about Helen, and he talked to me about, he went with Helen to one time to visit a woman in, in Lunenburg County, and she was the housekeeper for a sea captain, and the woman told, Tom, Tom said to her, he said, tell Helen Creighton, tell Miss Creighton about your experience with witch, witchcraft. It's a long, long story, but it, it, it suffice to say there, were, there was somebody in the community, a man in the community that she felt was witching her. And she said, I know that because my family, some of my family were witches. So I knew how to, I knew what the, the spells were. So things happened, uh, uh, animals got sick, her husband got sick, her pig got sick. It sounds funny when we say her pig got sick, but you yeah. know, if you're living in a farming community and your one pig dies, that means you don't have any sausages or, or, or pork right. or meat for salt, meat for the winter, stuff like that. It was a valuable animal. So she said, I went to the man and told him, stop it. I know what you're doing. Stop it. He said, I'm not doing anything. So she said, I killed the pig. That she, I guess she figured the pig was going to die anyway. I killed the pig, I took the heart, and I, stuff, I stuck it with new pins, and I put it in the oven, and I said whatever I needed to say, and the man came to the door a couple days later, very, very slow oven. She said, not enough to kill him, just to harm him. Came to the door, he said, I know what you're doing. He said, please stop that. She said, take the spell off. He went away, 
spell was still there. A couple days later, he died. Helen is sitting, in, and then Helen told me about it later on. She's sitting in the living room across from this woman who just told her she killed another human being. And I was going to ask you about this because yeah. I was reading about that. So continue. Yeah. So, well, so, so Helen says, well, did you not feel any remorse? And she said, no. She said, the Bible says thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And, and, and he was a witch and he deserved to die. And I said to Helen, I said, you're this tiny little woman. And there's a photograph of, of the woman in, in my, my, my witchcraft book. She was a big lady. I said, were you afraid? She said, of course I was afraid. She said, I was scared to go to the, the bathroom in case she put a spell on me. <laughs> <laughs> now, jokingly, yeah. but, but you know, I think what happens with a lot of this folklore that Helen collected, she, she, the way that she did it a great many times is that she would be interviewing somebody and they would collect songs. Well, after a while, you know, you, you, you run out of songs or else your voice gets tired. Well, she's there. They're starting to talk about ghosts. They're starting to talk about witches. They're starting to talk. About, she sees things. She feels things. And uh, that's where all these stories came, came about. Uh, it, was, it was absolutely amazing. So she, she kept all of these. And then, as, as you said, you, uh, so rightly so, you said they showed up in Blue Nose Magic, her, her book Blue Nose Magic, which I think is a far more interesting and terrifying book than Blue Nose Ghost. Yeah. And I, cause I have, I've been reading through both repeatedly uh, for quite some time. And Blue Nose Magic is, if you were to compare it to other works, like Blue Nose Ghosts would be like reading Lord of the Rings, where there's lots of really amazing, really in-depth stories that, can take you on a journey and blue nose magic is like the silmarillion where all the magic like pun intended i guess where everything really is where you can just find the meat of all the stories and if you want to put a spell on somebody here's how you do it yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) blue nose magic is absolutely you're right it is a book that freaks me out but in such a good way because I personally, like, without reading that, I would never think, like, how simple some of these things are, like, how complex. Like, if you want to, how to how to find out somebody's a witch, how to uh, get rid of a witch's spell, etc. Um, with, with the woman that she was interviewing, did she ever explain how she knew... The person was a witch. Well, she, yes, she said her family. She she came from a family that practiced witchcraft. Okay. So she identified all the signs when her husband got sick and when all these things happened. Right. You, 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 there was no there was no probable cause. That's the other thing with the supernatural is that we often look for a supernatural cause if you cannot explain the science behind it. Right. And <laughs> then you have to decide. Where is your belief suspended? Do you believe that there is a fine line between science and and the supernatural, or do you think that they can meld? That's a personal belief, right? And with that, yeah. So, so as from Helen's perspective, it wasn't necessarily that she had to believe these things. It was just not things, at all. It oh, was no. just stuff. It was just like things that came up in conversation that she just heard over and over again. But I think what happens, and, and that's people ask me, you know, do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in witches? 
I don't have any first-hand experience. I, I've interviewed tons of people and, and, and you know, collected lots of ghost stories and stories of witchcraft myself. But I have no first-hand experience of it that I believe was, was actual witchcraft. I have first-hand experiences of people who I think are very gifted healers, very gifted um, uh, shaman, people like that. Uh, that but that's, that's not what I consider to be, to be witchcraft or even, even ghosts, uh, the supernatural aspect of it. So I think Helen was the same way. But I think what happens, I think just after a while, when you've spent from 1928 until the late 60s collecting this stuff, you hear so much that after a while, I guess, for, and, and, I, and, I, and I go the same, same road. If you tell me something, it would be stupid of me to say you're lying. Or you, you, if, if the, because there's too many times when you sit across from somebody and they tell you something with such conviction. And it takes a long time, in many cases, for people to trust you enough to tell you that. I mean, I've gone back to people multiple times. And then finally they said, you know, and there's examples in the book. You know, I will tell you this, but you, you cannot tell who did it? And, and, and that's the other thing that I say in this book, I, and, and Helen was the same way. You never out somebody. That's, that, that's, that's the, the, probably one of the worst things you can ever do, in my opinion, anyway, no matter what, right. what, what, what it yeah. is. But from somebody that is willing to share their personal beliefs and stories, if they say, oh, I don't care who you tell, or, or this, is, this is what I believe, that's fine. But if somebody says, this is a story I have never told anybody before. And I don't know how you're going to take it, but I'm going to I'm going to share it with you. And I've I've heard a lot of that as well from other folklorists. Where, when you consider like the Mi'kmaq communities around here, you never show up on day one and be like, "Hey, I, I would like you to tell me all your deepest, darkest things." You have to, you really do have to build that relationship and that rapport, and so that they know what's going to like when you get to that point that you're going how you're going to react how you're going to handle the what they're being told, etc. Because I know if if you're gonna show up and be like ask somebody a question, day one, you're probably gonna be like, Hi, tell me about yourself. Day two, it's like, hi, tell me about your family. Hi, tell me about like and so on. Before you even get to the alright, now tell me about all the ghosts under your rug. <laughs> I always say it's the same thing uh, uh... I used to do a lot of lecturing at universities and things, and with very often now, it's it's very easy for for people to criticize collectors like Helen. Oh, she didn't collect body material. She didn't collect the dirty songs. She didn't collect this or that. Uh, she did. I'm, I'm 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 going through the tapes now. There's some pretty racy stuff <laughs> in those things, but she didn't publish them because the people said, "Please don't do that." She respected that. And it's, I, I, there's, I, when I'm going someplace and, and somebody will say, well, now she didn't do this. And I will say to them, okay, let me ask you this question. Hi, my name is Clary. Uh, I understand that your name is Robert. And Robert, I want you to tell me everything there is about your sex life. You don't do that the first visit, yes. you know. <laughs> it's, it's like Helen. Helen didn't go and say, "Now I want you to tell me everything about the the body songs you used to sing in the lumber camps," or because a she, a single woman, she wouldn't have lasted in the community. That that wouldn't at, in, at her time it wouldn't be respected. Um, some people could do it. Mostly men could could do that. Uh, or to talk about say 
my name is Helen Creighton. I understand you know some of the old cures and remedies. How did you how did you handle croup? How did you look after a baby that had a teething problem? Did you use gold thread that you went and dug out of the, the, the mossy areas? Things like that. You didn't walk in and say, now, are you a witch? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you're, you're right. Like It doesn't make sense to go to somebody on day one and ask those deepest, darkest things. Because more often than not, those deepest, darkest things that show up that become part of these folk stories and part of these books like Blue Nose Magic and Blue Nose Ghosts probably happened you're like you said earlier after you've been singing and having tea together and it's the end of the day and it's like you're just kicking back relaxing and just having a casual conversation and it just sort of comes up in that chat or if the person is a practicing witch and identifies themselves as a practicing witch and Helen goes and interviews them and asks them about that or asks the family, you know, sometimes the people were, were dead. Uh, there's a, there's a, 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 a several well-known families and I, I, they're named in the book, but I don't need to name them here. Se- several well-known families, the, the, several members of the family practice witchcraft. They were known, they wanted to be known. You know, they, they, they had power in the community and that was their strength. So therefore, uh, Helen was able to go to them and say, now I understand that you practice witchcraft. Can you tell me about it? Can you tell me where you learned it? Uh, can you tell me how you enact it? Do you still do it today? Um, that's a different thing. If somebody self-identifies, yeah. yes, <laughs> then it makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Sort of different side here, but still related. I'm curious whether it's stories you've collected or stories that you've heard from Helen uh if there are any tales that have stood out to you more than others i think the ones where people in the community have been affected uh, and, and affected deeply um, a good example is uh and this is an old an old story uh there was a in in, in acadia there was a, a a man by the name of jean campagna which happens to be my wife's maiden name. So Jean Campagna in the early part of the, the, the uh, around the, the, the uh, isthmus there, uh, you know, where the, where the Acadians were collected there between New Brunswick and, and Nova Scotia, which it eventually became known as, he was a successful. He, he, he had land, he had this and he had that. Apparently he went to, to uh, uh, court a woman who was younger than him. The family wouldn't let him uh, do it. So then they said they started to accuse him of witchcraft. But he had enough power in the community that they wouldn't try him. The governor says, no, we won't try him here. We will take him to Quebec and try him there. Because it's sort of like you know, washing, taking with the basin and washing the hands. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My hands are going to be clean. Um, but the interesting part about that is that uh, the, a number of scholars have done some research on this, on this man. And what they found is that a lot of people in the community owed him money or owed him favors because he would lend them money or he'd let them use land to graze their cattle or things like that. If you don't have the money to pay back or if you're cheesed off at this guy, again, it's like the Joan of Arc thing. How do you get rid of him? You start spreading stories of, of witchcraft. And, and he was exonerated. Um, 
the, the other the other one that sticks in my mind really really uh, heavily and I remember I, I write about it in the, in the book Sharon and I went to a little place called Nineveh in Lunenburg County and there in the 1930s a murder took place a young man murdered his father and they had a trial it was I think 1932 they had a trial it was covered in the newspaper and it's what I refer to as the last trial concerning witchcraft in Nova Scotia this young man felt that he was bewitched or witched and the only way he could get away from this is to murder his father he was taken to trial and he actually used as his defense witchcraft because so many people in that community believed in witchcraft and practiced witchcraft. In fact, there was somebody who came from a national magazine and did a whole article on it, on that whole community of people having uh, something called asafoetida bags. Asafoetida is now, is, it's a spice that's, if, 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 you're, if you're into uh, cooking Indian food, it's a, it's a well-known spice that you use in, in Indian food. But at that time, people would go to the drugstore and they would buy this asafoetida. It's a very, it's often called devil's root. And it's a very almost stinky, pungent root. And they would put it in little bags and tie it around their neck or tie it around their horses so the horses couldn't be bewitched. So this young man in Nineveh grew up with a whole community around him, not you know, the entire community, but enough in the community that believed so strongly in witchcraft that he felt it was within his realm to murder his father that he thought had, had witched him. He was sentenced to hang. Of course, the sentence was commuted. This was the 1930s. And he was sent to a mental institution and eventually released and, and spent the remainder of his days in, in living in Eastern Passage. So that this is this is not way way back when with with yeah. some sort of witchcraft. This is yeah. this is within well not my lifetime. I wasn't born until 1950, but somebody yeah. somebody's <laughs> lifetime that 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 these stories were still prevalent enough that that a young man committed murder because of that. That's wild. It, it's it's interesting. At least it's interesting. At least in Atlantic Canada, that. A story like that isn't heard much anymore. And think about that. Do you, when you're talking with others, do you find that witches are dying out, shall we say, for lack of better terminology? Uh, in the area, or is it just something that's become more more subdued to social media? When I was doing research for this book, I decided I need to know the difference well between witchcraft and Wicca. So I took a course from a Wiccan. And she had a number of people that was done in her home and it was private and some people wanted to be identified and some people didn't. And she, she, I think she opened up the conversation by saying, who here is still in the broom closet? 
<laughs> so, and that was the whole that was the whole thing is that usually if you are a Wiccan that is that is your faith that is that is your belief you're you're either a, 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 a involved in in the, the natural world or something like that but if you are a practicing witch in that you are a spell caster and Wiccans Wiccans also believe that they can cast spells but but the whole concept of witchcraft the the pointy hat the broomstick, the cauldron, the bubble bubble, toil and trouble, all that kind of stuff. That's such an invented thing hmm. that, in fact, in Nova Scotia, there was, Helen didn't collect any term called warlock. Witches were men and women. And you mostly you were either witched or you were hexed. So these people were practicing, are they still practicing today? Chances are. I mean, if I was going out and starting to interview people today, it might be a little bit harder to find them. You know, you might have to uh, turn over a few more more stones to, to find them. Or else you'd have people who say, stand up and say, yes, yes. And, and I've had that a lot. I've had people come and, and after this book came out and I would go and do readings and stuff. And people would say, I'm a witch. I can foretell the future. And I said, well, that's not really witchcraft. But, but, but people love to... The other thing is people love to identify as witches, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 it's 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 sort of like a oh, oh it's like somebody says, well, I'm I, I'm a bitch. I'll, I've always been a bitch, and I'm going to be a bitch to the day I die. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a witch, or I'm I'm a warlock, yeah. or things like that. It, it, there's there's that shock factor, but really, do they do they know some of the history behind it? Right, and it is really important too, as well, to to know the difference between like paganism and Wicca and witchcraft, because you're right. Like I, I, I personally know several countless people really that are, that are practicing pagans that are, uh, that are, that is their faith Mm -hmm. being part of that. I only know one person that self identifies. I am a witch. I am a spell caster like i got my voodoo dolls and i visit her as infrequently as i can (laughs) but but knowing that difference is a big is really big because it is easy to to combine the two because especially because of how they're portrayed in media Sure, it's popular. Yeah. It's it's a popular image. It's the black cat. It's the all of these these kinds of uh, iconographies that we we identify with that. Now, there's certain things. Obviously, uh, a good example is the broomstick. With many many beliefs from the Celtic community, from the German community, from the Acadian community, from the African Nova Scotian community, that a witch cannot cross a broomstick. So people would lay a broomstick on the door, and, and, and there's nu- numerous stories that I've collected, Helen's collected, other people have collected, of somebody coming to the door and saying, well, no, I, I, oh, uh, no, I don't think I'll come in today because I see the broomstick over the door. <laughs> um, yeah. Th- those kinds of things. There, there are certain, certain things, like the, the, the cross uh, rowan sticks uh, or, or planting, planting a rowan tree in a graveyard to keep out the witches. There's a lot, a lot of witchcraft that was collected from Lunenburg County. And I think, I write, I write about it in here, I really do think it's because, A, they were isolated by language, very quickly learned English, but they kept some of the traditions. 
but also what I reference in the book is that Halifax was found, founded in 1749. 1750, the foreign Protestants started to come over here. They were mostly, mostly German. They were Swiss and, and, and French as well, but mostly from the Germanic states. By the time they settled in Lunenburg in, in 1752, including my family, the, 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 the Crafts, Jacob Kraft, who changed the name to Croft, they were here, but the practice of persecuting people labeled as witches lasted for another 26 years in Germany. So they came with a state-sanctioned belief in witchcraft. So they, they, they withheld that, or they upheld, should I not uh, withheld, <laughs> they upheld that information maybe longer than some other uh, nationalities did. Right. There's so, there's so, because there are so many stories that you could go into and like so many paths you could wander down when thinking about witches and thinking about witchcraft. But we should talk a little bit about the, the, the people that practiced what we term today is, is, is white witchcraft. Tell me more. Well, the people that, that, that were spellcasters to try to heal or to, to maybe somehow uh, alter the weather or something like that. There were people who felt that they had powers and there were certain things that they could do, uh, certain charms, certain charms that they could give you. Um, we look at the First Nations, for instance. A good example is there, there's all sorts of medicine charms that you can carry on your body. They weren't the only ones. You know, the, the Germans uh, and, and, the, and some other people carry these asafoetida bags. Or somebody would carry a lucky charm. Maybe the Celtic tradition, you'd carry this. Or a piece of rowan or a special stone in your pocket that maybe somebody in the community gave you and said, carry that with you. Um, another example is, and this, this is not witchcraft, but another example is, and it, and it really references Helen Creighton, is the whole concept of the call. The membrane yeah. that, that, that mm. is attached to a baby's head or face or things like that when you're born. It's part of the placental membrane. Helen was born with that, and it was saved on a piece of fool's cap paper for her. Um, I've seen it several times, um, and it sort of looked as if somebody had taken egg white and smeared it on the... Because by that time, it was, you know, Helen right. was born in 1899, so it had dried and yellowed. It did what it had to do. But yeah. people used to buy those... And take them to sea with them because it felt if you ha if you were in the possession of a call or especially if it was your call you would never drown. So those are the mm -hmm. kinds of of not witchcraft, but people would maybe attribute that to some kind of witchcraft. Is there much when it comes to like the white magic? So we say, is there what other instances are there around here? that you know of? Well, a good example is the one I, I mentioned earlier. Right. My, my great aunt, yeah, who was a healer. You know, and, and, and if she had cheesed somebody off in the community, they might have said, you know, she's, she's a witch. So the whole concept of being an herbalist, being a healer, being able to set bones, uh, you might have learned it from your ancestors. But if somebody wanted to say, this is wonderful. Look at this person. We will bring, we will bring people to this person. We will bring children to this person because I don't know what they do, but it, it must be some sort of magic because we tried everything else. You know, the doctors can't figure out what it is or, or there is no doctor handy. So we will use that. Those are the kinds of white magic things of the healing of, of, of the giving you that, that kind of support, but it can 
turn against you as well. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the problem. In order to put yourself out there as a healer, um, my, my great-grandmother Burns was a, a midwife, but she was also a healer. I mean, people would come and she would mix up roots for them and tansies and, and, and tinctures and, and things. Uh, but just as easily, somebody in the community could have said, oh, you know, Cora Burns? She, you know, that, well, she, whatever she gave me, that didn't work. So she must be, she must be a witch. She must really be a witch. Yeah. Yeah. That, and it, it'd be interesting to, to wonder as well, as the 21st century has blossomed into what it is, how much of, how much of the population that would have been like from families of witches and that grew up as a witch and that is part of their lineage, shall we say. Um, how many of those people now are, are the ones that are running like the natural herbal tea shops? And like, that's, a, that's an interesting point, Jess, because I, I don't, I don't personally know of anybody that comes from that background. It's usually people that 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 in my in my experiences, it's usually people that have discovered that kind of stuff, you know, crystals or things like that later in life. Um, I can think of several family names that were practicing witches, you know, that, but I don't know of any of those family names that are running a a, a tarot card <laughs> yeah. shop or or that kind of thing. Um, I it's been an interesting research project. Hmm. And with that, is there anything else that Comes no, to my feet. we could go on forever, but you can only do. <laughs> yeah, you so really much. can. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for coming in. Pleasure. I do appreciate this, and uh, it was a good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that it wasn't just me yakking. I like. I like the dialogue that mm. we had because you you're, you bring something to it as well. So I, I appreciate that. I, I I do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Claire, and yeah, thank you for stopping by the Dartmouth Heritage Museum, and hopefully we talk to you again soon. All right, take care, Jess. Thanks.